Hello, welcome to the Comparative Agility Podcast. My name is Simon Hilton, and in this series we'll be talking with world leaders in agility to help understand how we can make continuous improvement a part of your company's DNA. In this episode of Comparative Agility, we talked to Peter Marino about his Agile Leadership Framework. This framework combines Agile and its principles with integral theory and helps leaders really have a more holistic view of the world around them so they can empower their teams to success. Welcome, Peter. How are you? I'm doing today relaxed, energized, and in the middle of a grief process due to what is going on in the planet at this moment. Yes, we've had a we've had a few guests on the podcast who are going through the same. Um, obviously, we're talking about the coronavirus, which has, you know, meant a lot of people have had to shift their plans in the world. In fact, we talked about previously on podcasts how it's almost the time for agile. Um, when you've made all these plans for the year, or even for the next couple of years, and suddenly they've all changed and you need to react. Um, and I guess this is a really important time for leaders especially to be stepping up and supporting people through this time of change. Yes, certainly, certainly. Completely true. So how did you come to working in Agile and, uh, and especially this, this topic today of Agile leadership? Wow. So I will try to be as concise as possible. <laughs> yeah, we all usually have a long history, but well, yeah, we only have an hour. Well, to be really to the point, I, I studied computer science, so mm-hmm. I was an expert in software developer and development. I was all into algorithms and complex software development. And uh, I think one day I got just tired of being in front of the screen mm-hmm. and typing the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And I got interested on in the mystery of these human beings between the chair and the keyboard, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was really curious to understand how human works and the, the kind of the psyche and the motivation of human beings. Mm-hmm. So in a moment of my life, I was really passionate about computers and trying to understand everything about it. And suddenly my focus moved into human beings. And since mm-hmm. then, I'm really passionate about trying to understand from different angles theories of frameworks, how the human psyche works. And I was in the middle of this personal transformation when I found Agile. And then I saw that I could bring all of my IT knowledge expertise into a coaching profession that was in the same field I was an expert in. So it was kind of a natural move to move into Agile coaching and what I do these days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I followed a very similar similar path. I did computing science. I you know, started in the tech field, but then I quickly found out that uh, um, compute the the, the 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 people interested me more than the machines. But you know, I still like working with teams to create products and to work in technology. But it's really important that um, I know this. Sometimes people don't like it when I say it, but sometimes the tech is the easy part. Machines do what you tell them, whereas people need more than more than that to to work together and to be productive. So. Um, that's where I believe probably good leadership comes into it. Um, and why I'm particularly interested in this in this podcast today is um, I believe you do have a lot of really important things in any agile transformation, agile organization. Um, the three that I've personally landed on are 
you know, that team agility, which is obviously what Scrum and all that all talk about. Um, then there's also this side, which is almost the other side, is that leadership, agile leadership, and making sure that um, we're, we're creating alignment, but we're creating enough autonomy for people to operate and react to the market and to the circumstances within. But all that is underpinned by a certain truth or psychological safety for those two groups to interact. Um, so it's quickly becoming clear how how capabilities like your agile leadership, the team agility capability and psychological safety capability can really form a, a fantastic scaffolding for teams and how they can support a, a truly agile organization. Yeah, yeah, wow. I like your summary. It's really concrete and practical. Yeah, well, you know, we've been here for in this industry for a long time. We've seen enough war stories that we can actually start to see the links and the, you know, the, um, the ways that things do work and the way that things don't work. And, you know, yeah. um, I think it's pretty clear that, and, and it probably wouldn't come as a, a lot of surprise to people that people need autonomy to do their work and they need to be able to communicate with their leaders. I mean, that's something that's always been necessary. We just need more um, uh, defined and trust, defined trustworthy relationships between those guys. So we have some slides to work to. So let me just share my screen quick. Um, and this is the agile leadership capability available on the comparative agility website. So we'll just do, a, we've already done a quick introduction, but, um, Peter Marino is an agile coach, agile and integral coach. Sorry. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. Um, and you're in Brussels right now, correct, Peter? Yes, I am based yeah. in Brussels. Yes. Great. And my name's Simon Hilton, agile coach and head of product manager in a, uh, a company called Willow. And, um, really what we've talked about before in, in a lot of podcasts as well is this uh, concept of alignment, aligned autonomy, where we need to create alignment uh, across the organization, um, but we need to give teams and empower teams to support their autonomy and react to how their work is progressing, the, the breakdown of complex problems, but also market forces. And I believe this agile leadership really, as I said, really sits on the left here with the, uh, with the leaders creating that alignment um, at, at every level of the, uh, of the organization. Um, so a lot of people talk about how this is the defining the what and the why and letting the teams figure out the how um, as they progress through the problems that you're handing them. Um, so I often talk in my, in my experiences about, okay, I need to align my, when I'm leading, I need to align my individual to my team my team to my business and my business to my market. Um, so it's really good. You can already see there that there's a tiered approach that um, uh, in the mindset of a leader that they need to take into account um, with everything that they do. Um, this is really a part of the, how can we put it? Uh, so it's a servant leadership mentality that instead of command and control of you know, executives telling managers and staff, et cetera, what to do and uh, really, um, exemplifying or sorry, directing the what as well as the how. It's really the flip side of that right now with being able to make sure that teams clearly understand the what and the why, uh, where the business is trying to go and getting them to align their daily and even maybe weekly work plans to uh, the overall direction of the business, which is where this enable and empower mm -hmm. um, uh, mindset comes from. Um, have you seen that show up in your in your coaching so much the, the servant leadership mentality, Peter? Well, 
here I feel like I would like to put certain um, or to share certain perspectives or from where I will speak. Yep. So maybe this will help to understand what I'm referring to. Yep. So I mentioned before, I study um, integral coding, which basically means that I have been trained to use integral theory uh, to look at things and to understand yep. the complexity of any experience or uh, life conditions from an integral point of view. Now, can we stop there? What does an integral point of view mean? Yes, exactly. So it yeah. basically means that you try to include as much as you can a comprehensive approach to understand reality, where mm -hmm. you look at leadership and instead of putting labels, you see levels of consciousness mm -hmm. and recognize that depending on the work that needs to be done, you need a certain kind of leadership. For example, if the work in the military is the one we know, do you need really a high level of leadership there? Maybe yeah. yes, not, depending on what you're supposed to, supposed to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Suddenly enough, these days we see a kind of leadership operating the school system or the political system on this planet that is poorly developed. And we see a lot of negative consequences because of that. Now, when we look at a company who every company has a purpose, they need to produce certain value, they are customers, then the question for me is, what level of consciousness is required for this company to achieve their goals? And in that sense, I have noticed that Agile bring in into the complexity of an organization, which is already complex, it brings in the conversation of how do we want to work? What will be our way of working, the set of values and principles to run our company? Mm -hmm. And then when a company decides to go agile, as a consequence of that, they encounter the issue that the level of consciousness of their leaders is not yet ready to deal with the complexity of creating agile teams, enabling agility, and creating all the amazingness that we know is possible. However, mm -hmm. we also know that the level of consciousness of the leaders will limit the performance of the company. So there is a thing where, where this, I mean, this conversation uh, kind of have a, a space where to speak about because it depends on the level of consciousness, the complexity of the company, what is their commitment to really harvest the value, the benefit of Agile. Um, and yeah, then going back to what you say, server leadership, yes, it's a label. What does it mean? I have seen so many colleagues having so many ideas <laughs> about what is server leadership and there are thousands of frameworks that I yep. imagine try to go more to the essence, you know? What are the qualities that someone needs to show to enable agility in an organization? And if you want interesting. to put it, Yes, go ahead. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I mean, what we're trying to say here, and I think people really identify the whole commanded structure that we're, we're, we're thinking about here on the left in, in a workplace. I mean, I think the military could even be, be a bit different, but in a workplace has traditionally been the classical approach to management of you're, a, you're a, almost a, a machine which has output and we just need to measure that output and improve it. Whereas what's inherent in agile is, and this comes up a lot if you have conversations, we don't talk about resources, we talk about people. So already there you're creating another dimension over yeah. you produce X widget to you're a person who has feelings and thoughts 
and we can yeah. harness those for the for the benefit of everyone. Well, not not even harness, just just allow that to thrive. Um, right. So that's the key concept there. That that layer layering of of uh, dimensions of consciousness when we start to think about people in that way already starts to break out. Now, so I think it sh I think it, we have to be extremely fair here and say this isn't limited to agile. Um, any sort of good leader will will empower, inspire um, their, their, their team. Um, it has to think about all these different things about how, to, how, to, how humans, as you put it before, can work best together or work best with a keyboard or, or something yeah. like that. Um, it just seems to go really well with, um, with Agile in the aligned autonomy mentality. Yes, and in his maybe if we look at the history of uh, humanity in the last hundreds or 200 years, the, the notion of looking at people as resources and machines, as you mentioned, it comes mm -hmm. from the revolution. Mm -hmm. At that moment, they needed, we needed a bunch of people to do repetitive activities so an outcome will be predictable and then they will yep. be able to know how much the factory will produce. Yep. Suddenly enough, there is still a lot of this legacy running companies that have nothing to do with the challenges and the complexity of these days where we have a more kind of, uh, I, how can we call it, a learning revolution where knowledge and information and data mining and artificial intelligence are the challenges that people have these days to be, really be successful in a company. So it isn't, I, I will fully agree to say that there is a level of consciousness of leadership and understanding of what leadership is that is running companies that are facing issues that are beyond their competencies and that's why the necessary yeah. develop leaders yeah it's actually pretty clear to me it draws a, a very common line to just even waterfall like planning and leadership is the same thing we we use we waterfall uh project management came from us building cathedrals and all of these amazing things back in back in the day um, it was the way you built houses in fact it's still the way you build buildings it's just it just we've just our requirements have changed so when we come to software for example we can fail fast and we need to fail fast in order to create new knowledge um, in the same way it doesn't mean that the command and control structure uh, leadership structure can't work if you're if you have simple things to do like assembling a something in a factory but um it's just maybe not just because we've used it before doesn't mean it's the tool we need right now in a new world of complex and um uh, creative problem solving yes yes certainly okay. I, I like so, we're slowly building the um, the conversation so uh, we can maybe go deeper and deeper on, on these uh, elements because for example what is leadership really how how can we really um, put leadership in a context that is not only about having authority or power in an organization. I tend to see more leadership, leadership as an ability, a competency, a skill, whatever word people want to use for that, that anyone can access. Yeah. And in that sense, it's the responsibility of everyone. And follow, uh, being a follower or being a leader is equally important. I. Mm. I, in my professional evolution, I stumbled upon the need to work with leaders. I was not looking for it. It just happens naturally in my missions that I was kind of pointed out to work with leaders. 
-hmm. And the more I do it, the more I notice the need to develop the followers. Because yep. when the leader wants to change, change, grow, and evolve, there is a pullback from the followers who have developed an image of the leader as someone who is command and control, authoritarian, yep. and not leaving space for autonomy. And you know, believe it or not, one of the challenges I face today is how do I create a space in the mind of the followers so they will allow the leader to show up in a different way when they decide to change, when they okay. see value for change. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in front of us here, we have the integral agile leadership framework, um, which we've talked about those different levels of consciousness. And we'll just, it, it's, it's, it's organized into four key quadrants with eight, uh, with two kind of areas per quadrant. So we'll talk about the top left here and just go maybe, I think it's anti-clockwise or we'll, we'll just continue through it. But I think let's start with what you just talked about there, the personal agility and work our way up. Um, the four key areas, sorry, are personal agility, business agility, interpersonal agility and organizational agility. So how did you come up with these four quadrants? Well, here is where another important lens of the integral theory uh, uh, it's important maybe to give a synthesis of it. Mm -hmm. The notion of quadrants, you know, in the integral yeah. theory, five, seven lenses, depending on, on the flavor there. And I, I, I just talked about before levels of consciousness that give you a level of altitude of the complexity of mind of the person. Yeah. Another lens is quadrants, you know, and here in the right side, we have a business agility and organizational agility, which is more the tangible, concrete, aspects of an organization and then mm -hmm. in the left side we have personal agility and interpersonal agility which is more the soft skill the invisible part mm -hmm. the culture the mindset things that we cannot really measure even though we can eventually think that we measure them because there are some tools to do that it's very intangible it's not something that you will see yeah we cannot feel it so these are the right and the left dimension then the upper part is more orientated to what will really touch the heart of an individual. Like personal agility really has to do with the functioning or the operating system of the individual from where the person is actually operating. And then the business agility is also in that arena because at the end, for more that we call it business, at the end is bringing value to one single individual. Mm. And even if we will say this company is bringing value to a society, a family, a collective, at the end, there is one individual who receives the value. And mm -hmm. in that sense, the idea of customer centricity or stakeholder agility that you see in that quadrant, uh, at least from my thinking, it always needs to go down to which is the individual that we are actually supporting on the business agility dimension. Yeah. And then in the lower part is more the collective, you know, the, part, yep. the upper part is individual, the lower part is collective. And then yep. we have personal agility, where we have two dimensions, teams agility and cultural agility. And then the organizational agility is more the collective uh, outside, uh, which is a structural agility and systemic agility. It's a lot of names of, uh, I guess, people who are listening to this will get a bit of uh, dizzy with so many... Uh, <laughs> no, I think, like, I think we, we, you've explained it simple enough. So in the personal agility and business agility, it's all about the in, individual, internal and external. Whereas yeah. down below in the interpersonal organizational, it's all about the internal and external we yes. or it. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, great. And I think that aligns well with, with, with the integral model that you're talking about, which everyone can just can just search and, and you'll probably find some great graphs there to show. It's really about the, uh, centering around those terms. When I think of a decision or I think of a concept, how does that affect I? How does it affect we as a team? How does it affect my customer? And how does it affect the larger market or, or, or world? Um, that collective group of customers out there. And I guess that's where, you know, people do think about these days, uh, the real triple bottom line or the, you know, the, the, the environmental effects of everything they do. That's where that level of integral uh, decision-making is, is, is showing up in the world. So let's just go straight into it. So let's start with personal agility. It's a compass to individually grow. It's about I, it's about making sure that I am, as you've got here, a mindful leader. I'm an inspirational leader. Um, that I am showing up at work and 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 inspiring and, and caring about the people around me. Um, we have business agility, where we're talking about the customer. So this is again in the um, individual quadrants. Um, that being customer centricity, we're focused on. Uh, what's best for our individual customer, that next one person who's going to um, consume or use our product, buy it, um, uh, or just serving that, uh, that person. And this, not only the customer, but the stakeholders, because there's many more people who receive value or are included in the, the cycle of whatever you're developing. So I love yeah. that, that we're thinking about how, what, what, how I can grow as a leader, but also what's the individuals that I'm serving inside this whole process. Uh -huh. then we, uh, and that's a compass to serve customers as you've got here. And there's many customers inside your organization. And I say we're all in customer service. Um, then below you've got interpersonal agility, which is a compass to collectively grow. So that's really about team, cultural agility, how are we going to handle, and this comes back to it's interesting uh, conversations we've had about team emotional intelligence. How do we process trauma? How do we navigate the, the pitfalls as we're a team along the way to actually make ourselves um, anti-fragile? Um, and again, that's team's agility as well. Because um, the team, as people come, as people go, as, as, as things happen like this to, to them, how are we using that to grow and be an opportunity rather than um, be stuck that because we don't have video conferencing or we're not seeing each other face to face, we can't produce value. And then we have organizational agility, the compass to collectively act, which is about structural and systemic agility, which I think we'll need to get more into detail, but I'm going to hesitate to, to, to think that this is about how we align as a business to the market and just be that strong organization, um, which can survive in uncertain times. Yeah, it is related to that, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So let's dive straight into the first one, personal agility. Um, you said the ability to lead and inspire and engage people to manifest a common purpose. Um, so this is obviously not, this is, a, this is the leader, not the individual development team member. But at the end of the day, when we talk about inspire and purpose, we're talking about the what and the why. Yeah. And well, be, before we move on, just I, I find very important to mention uh, the name of Ken Wilber, which is the author yes. of Integral Theory for people mm -hmm. who want to research more of that. The, the, the basic foundations of this assessment come from, from his work. And then what I did was to consolidate what I consider very important uh, around these quadrants and levels of consciousness. 
Now, the inspirational uh, leader, as I said before, is not only the people, the person who has authority. A PO, maybe who is not a hierarchical manager, can also be an inspirational leader. A squad member or a team member can also uh, do this. And indeed, the, idea, the ability to inspire and to manifest a common purpose uh, stand out like the two essential elements. And in the assessment, and this also in this framework, inspirational leader has certain muscles, you know? Uh, and this is where uh, another element of the integral theory is important, is the idea of personality types or types in general. Because you can be a leader who is, for example, in a center of gravity that is very command and control, let's say. However, uh, at the same time, this do not mean that all command and control managers are the same. They are also personality types, styles, yeah. you know? And here, what I'm trying to address is like, in order to become inspirational, whatever your level, whatever your type, there are certain muscles that you need to develop, like being able to do a proper storytelling so you can inspire yeah. people. Yeah. And you can empower people because there's a, a deep sense of trust that every human being or every person in your team has the inner resources to actually get something done. And you are simply a catalyzer to remove impediments so people can actually do that. Mm -hmm. The notion of creative feedback as well. I, I call it creative feedback because there is so much literature on the internet about feedback. I think the most important element is, is this feedback helping people to be more creative? Or is it, in the contrary, creating more animosity or uh, turbulence in the teams? And then there's also the idea of visionary purpose inside inspirational leader to idea to hold a vision that people can actually uh, engaging and then the notion of transparency which is how much the leader is able to be vulnerable authentic and really show what is really happening to him as he's being let's say inspirational and that's what i really really love about this framework as we move through it um you're giving us the building blocks with each area which is great for a for anyone to build their personal leadership growth plan out of and and i really agree a great inspirational leader needs to be able to tell a great story. They need to empower people, get that creative feedback. And most, most importantly is create that vision and that purpose, which is, you know, communicated through the story and um, really be leading an aspirational way of approaching life and approaching the problems that they're, they're moving through. So um, I certainly agree. An agile leader needs to be inspirational. And it's maybe something that people take for granted, like, Oh, you know, we don't need to think about that. We just need to get the work done. Um, people, I think we underestimate the need for emotional connection for people between each other and to the work. Um, yeah. And this is where, you know, they talk about the elephant and the rider kind of ideas that most of our days are actually driven by the emotional uh, momentum yeah. of our lives um, rather than our cognitive decision to do things so um, a leader needs to tend to those things and give people the emotional uh, uh how can i put it um momentum or velocity to, to really to focus on, on on the work that's in front of them yes you know what i have observed over the years is that the emotional state from which the work is done influence the quality of the work yes when a developer is very stressed trying to solve a bug might solve this bug, but might introduce other three bugs. 
because mm. the pressure is so high that at that moment, with, when there is stress and pressure, most of the people uh, have a tendency to have a reactive behavior. Yeah. They react instead of response. The, I think one of the biggest changes for anyone to really experience the benefits of agility is to go from a reactive mindset to a responsive mindset where the person is more grounded and centered can actually use all their capacities to deal with the complexity or the difficulties in front of them. And when the emotional state of the person is loaded with negativity, with frustration, with pain, this will affect the quality of the outcome, certainly. Yeah. And it certainly gets them into that fight or flight moment, uh, waiting where they're not thinking, they're just thinking, what can I avoid rather than the total quality of the product? So, um, okay. So the next part of personal agility is mindful leadership and it's the capacity to mindfully lead and care for everyone, well-being, while working together. I think that's just what you were touching on. Yes, yes. If we would like, uh, this, this was also built with the idea of the agile, the, the integral framework. Eh? Inspirational leader will be more the outside, you know, the outfit of the leader. Mm -hmm. What will mm -hmm. you see, the mask, what will you recognize, how does it need to look like? And in a way, mindful leadership is more the internal aspect of the leader. What is the, mm -hmm. the, the inner fit, if, if I can call it that way? And then we have also... Yeah, like that. Uh, maybe something important to mention is that I don't intend to have the final answer on the building blocks. Any person mm -hmm. can have different building blocks. Yep. What I care more is about the big dimensions, the four dimensions, and then the yep. subcategories. And anyone can plug in different building blocks, of course. And mm -hmm. here, uh, lead I, think, I think they're great places to start though. If you, can, if you can tick off even half of these, you're in a good spot. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, I, I am a passionate about personal development, psychology and spirituality. So when I was working on this, I was having at least 40 or 50 books with me and looking, going through them, looking for patterns, for words that are repeated, mm. that will not only be a building block, but they will point out a higher level of consciousness that will enable agility. Mm. Because, you know, maybe something that is not written in many places is that to really access a level of agility that creates the outcome that we all promise, you need mature people. What does it mean mature? people who have done enough inner work to surpass their traumas so they can operate from a creative mindset rather than being emotionally reactive towards impediments. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think yeah, so I, I, a lot of people say it differently. I think someone said it to me the other day and this is where trust comes into it as well. Um, trust is the lubricant of an organization was once said to me and I feel like it's, it's those levels of the unseen which you're talking about, which actually allow for the teams to operate in an almost sub subconscious level and not having to have constant meetings and trust issues and reporting and all that kind of stuff. If people can remove all those things, which don't actually add value to the, to the end product yeah. by creating inspired uh, uh, conscious le leadership and also autonomous teams, which again, need to lead within their team, things will flow a lot better. 
Yes, certainly. You know, I have seen, uh, I have witnessed uh, workshops in, in different companies where people try to be innovative. For example, they want to be innovative and mm -hmm. they want to have new ideas to create new products. And then I have seen uh, this group of people uh, without a facilitator who is able to enable a safe space, a safe container. And mm -hmm. then the, the dynamics, the conversation, the outcome is all uh, gravitating around judgment, criticism, negative elements, and they don't seem to, to be innovative because innovation requires to be vulnerable, to experiment, to try mm. new things. And then I have seen the same group of people with a different facilitator who do have the ability to create safety or trust in the group just with the way they speak or the energy from what they speak. And then I have seen totally different behavior totally different outcome just because the person who is leading or facilitating or enabling the team to work together is coming from a higher mindset. Mm -hmm. Here, for example, that how I put the building blog is called building trust and safety. The leader is someone who can, that you can trust and is able to generate psychological safety, what you mentioned before. Now, psychological safety for me is the outcome. It's like in an apple tree, the apple will be the psychological safety, the outcome of it. In order for mm -hmm. you to have safety, you need trust, like the, 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 the main core of the, the tree and the branches to the floor. So the question will maybe remain open, like what is requiring a human being to be someone who is actually able to create trust? Mm. Why some people can do it and why some people cannot do it? Yeah. And this is where I think theories also go hand in hand when, I mean, I think a lot of this work has been done in psychological safety and making sure that we um, understand about failure and we actually breed it into our systems. Um, because I think that's a, a big part of it is um, the fear of retribution. And it's really that fight or flight response um, for honesty, for truth, for, uh, and for trust. Um, but a few kind of the things that you touch on here for the mindful leader to think about is to lead mindfully, balance alignment and autonomy, which is, again, we've talked about that in this podcast, and it's really, really important to be able to understand what that actually means and, and to deliver that. Um, building trust and safety. Um, uh, you've got here, the leader is someone you can trust and is able to generate psychological safety. There we go. Um, caring for well-being and active listening. So this does really sound like any good person not exactly a leader right it's just someone who cares for others um uh is willing to not uh govern others just willing to work in a trusting and collaborative fashion and is really concerned with what others have to say yes and you know i i i haven't encountered any leader and this day i, I have the luck to coach individually a lot of senior managers in the company i work for I'm now working with ING in Belgium and the Netherlands. Uh, none of them, if you ask them, you, if you ask them, would you like to have a trustful, safe, psychological safety environment around you? They will all say yes. They will all want that. Mm. The question remains the same. Why some of them can do it and why some of them cannot do it? And I have noticed some leaders are really interested to dive into that questions and kind of look at themselves to do the necessary changes in order to do it. 
And some people, they just want a practical, quick solution, you know? Yeah, they just solve the problem. And some yeah. of these ideas, at least in mindful, mindful leadership, they require a commitment for a personal transformation. I, I completely agree. And I was thinking that's where you're going. Um, sorry to jump in, but it's just so true. Like when you get to a certain level of leadership, it's not just a piece on, it's not just a bullet point on a page, a skill you need to adhere to inside your job description. It's actually a, a personal transformation, um, yeah. which I think a lot of people don't understand, but is, is extremely necessary for you to be effective in that, in that way. I love how Einstein, he put it in one sentence. With the level of consciousness that you discover the problem, you cannot solve the problem. Yeah, understood. So It requires I, you to evolve. Exactly. Yeah. It requires to, to look at the problem from a different angle. Yeah. Um, how many times have you met a leader which is wanting to do all this, but you just can clearly see they're not listening to their team? I have only encountered like one or two cases out of... Okay. 25 or 30, yes. Yeah. And these days, leaders, at least they have ones I have encountered, they're very willing, very open, daring actually. Because you know, some of these senior leaders, they, they really, they, they have been working with people for so long that mm -hmm. many of them have already come to the conclusion that their work is really about people. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And when they give the necessary conditions for people to actually do their job, they will do their job. Got it. There are not too many leaders who come to the top of a company who have not understood this. There mm. are still, of course, but it's not the majority, at least in my experience. Yeah. Now the question, the, the struggle that they have is that they don't know how to do it. And they follow <laughs> behaviors and they try yeah. to do it with mechanisms that help them to claim in the to sorry to ruin the company. Because for you to grow in a classical company, you need to show uh, impact, have results, kind of move people around so you get there to be the VP or a top manager. But this, with these skills, you have managed to push other away and you claim you, you grow in the company. Now, when you are in, the, in this level of high leadership or senior leadership, the same skills that allow you to get there, they are not necessary anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because also people... Well, the higher you get, it's more about how you get people to work together rather than the work you do. Yes. And yeah. people expect this from you. As a senior leader, you're not expected to give details on how to do things. You're more expected to be inspirational, to have a purpose, to have a mission, to have a clear voice, to kind of, you know, push things forward if we want to say it this way. Yeah. And Got many... It. They're doing other things like bringing results, having outcome and things like that. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. So in the next uh, quadrant, we have business agility, uh, which is customer centricity, which I think will come to, hopefully will come to, uh, will be very familiar with a lot of people in agile circles, but this defines how a leader considers and applies a customer focus to deliver value to customers. Um, yeah. Sounds like agile to me. <laughs> This is, I don't expect to have anything new here because we agilists, we all know about value delivery, strategic priorities, customer satisfaction and focus, driven innovation, company yep. consistency, maybe company consistency, maybe a bit a new concept for some people. All the rest is the basic of our business, right? 
Mm -hmm. What do I mean by company consistency is that they, and this one I noticed this by talking to leaders and these different companies, eh, is that there is, in some companies, there is a lack of authenticity because there is no consistency between the internal message and the external message. Mm -hmm. so imagine that you're trying to dance, um, you're trying to dance with two songs. Mm. You're playing two songs at the same time and you're trying to dance. And that's this level of inconsistency creates a lot of frustration because people yeah. feel and they say, but the company is giving a message A and in the marketing, in the message to the customer is message C. So yeah. this really creates problem for customer centricity. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think I've seen that in organizations where even teams internally aren't fully aligned on their why or their what. Um, which can lead to that disjointment that you're, you're talking about here. But um, yeah, definitely value delivery, strategic priorities. I mean, not all of this is purely agile, but it's certainly good business in, in the current climate, um, especially innovation. Yeah, awesome. So the next step of that is stakeholder agility and it's ability to lead it to interact, co-create and manage stakeholders. Yes. And you know, this is one of the key uh, has the challenges of a senior leader in a large organization. More than how to lead their department or their tribe, uh, sometimes the real issue is how do they interact and, and deal with the stakeholders, meaning the C-level management or uh, you know, shareholders, because some of the, the it's like these two different realities. Eh? When you're looking at a shareholder or, or a C-level manager, and then you are a VP in between, it's two different realities because in a way, you're trying to get things done, creating like uh, value streams or output in a department. Mm -hmm. And you have people who are having conversations that are go beyond your daily day-to-day -day, uh, work. And that's why I have identified these building blocks, like how to co-create a strategy, because you need to have different stakeholders aligned for a strategy to work. We all know that the culture eat a strategy for breakfast. Yeah. So <laughs> how do you engage as much as people possible so the strategy goes somewhere? Visibility mm -hmm. um, on progress, also important because uh, sometimes a C-level manager will just want to know when you are going to deliver something and if you are not <clears throat> creating enough visibility in progress, it will be very hard uh, to have the proper conversations to kind of ask top managers or leaders to really give the autonomy that we know the teams need in order to uh, create an outcome. Because yes. that's the tension in big organizations. Eh? Okay, we want to give them the autonomy, but tell me, when do you have it? Yeah. So we know the Orient Triangle, eh? You have yeah, yeah, three things yeah. you can And this, it's, it's a two-way street, it's give and take. If you want to give in, I, I believe what I took it down to is responsibility and trust. I think those are the two dimensions that, uh, sorry, trust yeah. and transparency. For you to get trust, you need to provide transparency. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then we have things like uh, stakeholders, the the business health and results and value. 
well, I, I came up with this idea of business health to summarize what you were saying before, because I mm. really find a lot of value if leaders and companies can have this idea of the, the triple bottom line, profit, planet, and people, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe I would uh, I would like to also include, include process there, you know? Yeah. So that the process also becomes, because today we don't see it this way, eh? we don't mm-hmm. see like, the process that the company is using to run the company is not part of the bottom line. And mm-hmm. therefore, it's seen as a means to an end. You know, some people say agile is a means to an end. It's not the final goal to become yeah. agile. Mm-hmm. And it's like hmm, partial. If your goal will be to become agile and you will do everything required for a company to fully harvest the benefits of agile, what will be the outcome of that? Mm. If we believe in our story as agilists, when well, we say, wow, if you really do that, you will have happy customer, excellent products, and you will grow your business. So why Agile cannot be the goal? Hmm. Well, I guess, I, guess, I guess it's the whole tools kind of idea that you can use a spade to beat someone up or you can use a spade to, to dig a hole. It's, it's, the, it's, it's what you do with it that really matters. I mean, you could, you can use agile and to, you can, you can use agile to create products which harm the people, profit and planet of the organization. I mean, we've seen, you know, in, in uh, the way Facebook has, has created tools to that have harmed democracy, you know, um, you could, you could argue any number of ways that great software development can still hurt people. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's more the question of moral and ethic. How you say in English? Ethic. I agree. I'm not sure it has a lot to do with stakeholders as much as uh, kind of end customers. So yeah, but I love the idea that we're thinking about our stakeholders as customers. I think they're sitting right next to our customers in this model because, as I've always said, everyone's in customer service. Everyone you interact with, even in your team, you know, in your organization, is a customer. And you should be you should be thinking about how you're serving them and how the quality of the service that you're performing. So I love that that's in there. And as a as a leader, you need to be considering how you're serving the office administrator as much as you're serving the you know the general manager as much as you're serving the um, the uh, uh, the CEO of the organization because that's the mindset you need to live and model that everyone everyone else to have as well. Certainly. And you know why one of the motivations also why I put the stakeholders inside this business agility dimension is because many leaders, if you ask them how when was the last time you spoke to a real customer, you will get a silence. <laughs> when was the last time you spoke to your internal stakeholders, either C level or CIO or or uh, or shareholders, uh, three times a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's their real customer. Yep, got it. Okay, so the next uh, area is organizational agility. Uh, here, one of the building block, well, the, the, the dimension that you've got here is cultural agility, is the ability of the leader to establish or facilitate an organiza- organizational culture that enables agility. Yeah. So really, when I read that, I just think of growth mindset. I think of a part of who we are is that we change and grow and learn and fail. Yes, 
You know, the creating culture is something that is beyond the control of one single individual. Absolutely. A community that uh, somehow creates a kind of culture. And here, the building blocks that I put there are more pointing out uh, a necessity to establish certain kind of pillars that will allow a culture to, let's say, be more agile. That's why we have, for example, uh, celebrate and recognition the ability to celebrate the progress and recognize people so you motivate them. We have practices for fun and ease, you know. If we, I think this idea of fun at work was propelled by the agile community and movement. It's elements that if you go to a company and they are, don't have some level of easiness, fun, celebration, recognition, is it going to be really an agile company? No, because elements that are in the heart of Agile. If we don't see a company go in that direction, but they produce a lot of value and they are every sprint, they produce all the story points that they're supposed to and customers are receiving whatever they're supposed to receive, but we don't have this kind of culture internally, it will be strange to find a case like that. Uh, then we have foster continuous improvement and promote customership. Um, mm. Now the craftsmanship element is uh, yet yeah, really, uh, I learned this a lot working in ING. They really pay attention to mastery. You know, we have yeah. used a system of, um, of uh, Spotify. We have 180 coaches in two locations. So we have an army of agile coaches. We have more than 400 squads, at least 22 tribes. So it's a huge agile implementation. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so lucky to be part of that. I really, I'm really feel super lucky to be there. And the whole company invests in craftsmanship, in craftsmanship and mastery. Yeah. So if I will go to a company and I will look at the culture and they don't invent in, invest in mastery, which means basically that the people have 10% of their time or 15% of their time to just learn and become better of what they do, uh, I, I'm not sure if that will be uh, seen for me as an agile culture, because I believe this is an important element. Uh, because you know what I noticed that sometimes in the retrospectives, one of the impediments for a, a team is that they, are, they haven't mastered a technology. They start the new sprint and they don't have time to actually grow and learn more. So this idea of uh, craftsmanship, I find it very relevant for an agile culture. And yeah, then absolutely. Have, then we have support agile communities, so that the idea of uh, either guilds or community of practices, that, that this element needs to be there if we want to see a, an organizational culture that is kind of connected to the agile way of thinking or mindset. The, the two things that pop up to me when I look at this, because I'm absolutely a big, I, we, talk, we talk about this a lot at work, culture eats uh, strategy for breakfast. Um, is the the whole Dan Pink autonomy, mastery, and purpose, and that's why a lot of organizations you've talked about um, mastery already. Really, really important for any culture to feel like they're actually good at what they do. Um, purpose. A lot of organizations are doubling down on that, obviously, because it's a real uh, um, important thing for a lot of. Uh, generations entering the workforce that their, their life is connected to their work if they're going to work so hard of it and we've already talked about autonomy um, and at the end of the day um, 
culture is creating meaning inside our organizations. And the best part is that meaning is completely up to you. So if you choose to celebrate failure and learning and growth, great. That's just going to be the culture you have. And if you, and you're going to feel good when those things happen, but you could also just as easily create a meaning where failure is bad and we shouldn't be learning and we should just do what we're told. Um, it's really up to you. And it's not, it's not like there's a universal culture. There's not a universal way of doing things. There's actually no meaning in anything where it's up to us to create the meaning around all of these things, um, which is why culture is such an, an a, 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 a thing that needs to be created and with intent from a, a leader, as you're saying here. Yes, yes. And ideally everyone, I mean, if, if we have the responsibility to lead a huge department organization, I would empower all of us to create this culture and to mm -hmm. make it a co-creative process. So that's why I put there to facilitate, to establish and facilitate, meaning that it's not the responsibility of the leader to create the culture. It's just to put the conditions to facilitate something to emerge. Yeah. And engage people on it. Because a culture cannot be created by one leader. It's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. I often wonder about that because a lot of the time culture tries to come from top down. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, with these are our meetings, these are our um, parties, etc. But I do wonder if you could just create some sort of cache of of resources or tools that people can use to create their cultures from the bottom up i don't know if it's like okay there's 500 dollars a team every month to do whatever they want we create your culture create the things that you do to create meaning and whether you spend that on post-it notes or you spend it on gift cards or whatever you do just create that culture of of having fun with your work and and learning as you grow yeah, yeah. Because, you know, in a way, for me, it's very important when I go to a company, I don't see anyone as a victim yeah. or a child. You know? if, if you will say the leader is responsible for the culture, then everyone else is a victim. Mm. And it's a very disempowering lens to look people at. So yeah. if you're in a company and the culture is not the culture that you would like to have, why are you doing in that company? Yeah. And what are so you doing to you know, it's the responsibility of everyone. Yeah, it's a hard one because sometimes people don't feel like they want to create the culture. They're leaning back. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one that um, yes. takes time, but I think it's, it's enables, you know, it's, it's the best one when people live it every day. You know why it's so tough? Because culture equals family. And we yeah. bring to the office the same family system we had at home. Oh, that's interesting. So if you, if you come from very command and control, for example, patriarchal family, you think that shows up in the workplace? Yes. You will end up choosing, unconsciously, you will end up choosing a company that will mirror this back to you. Wow. Equals <laughs> that's, that's, that's deep and a half truth, harsh truth to take on that you've, um, you'll be living around. Well, you know, this, this equals attract equals. Yeah, I understand. And I can understand because that's where you may feel comfortable as well, subconsciously. Yeah. Um, I mean, people do often talk about seeking out partners which kind of mirror their parents. Um, yeah. I can understand the exact same place where uh, you seek out a workplace that mirrors your family. Totally true. So, you know, for me, I have been lucky enough to, I, I, one of my key jobs is to coach coaches. So to, to help agile coaches grow. 
and to coach leaders. This is what I mainly do these days. And I have coached certain people and I have noticed as they do their growth and they start to kind of heal and recover from a, from a, from a unfunctional or dysfunctional family system, mm. their way, the, the environment where they work starts to change. Mm. They, they it's even kind of a, it's a miracle. You know, they heal something in them and the environment around them started to change. People get moved. Suddenly, the leader or the manager that was so tough gets moved to a different department because yes. it doesn't match the reality of the group anymore. Or, or the leader change and open and recognize that their behavior is not working, is not serving the company. So yeah, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's confronting and at the same time it's empowering because you can do something about it, which is your own personal development, which is totally on you. Yeah, I'm just making a note about that because I think it's very powerful. Um, okay, so we just talked about cultural agility. Now, team agility is the ability of a leader to enable teams to implement and increase their agility. So this is really continuous improvement. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, I, it, it is like now imagine you have the focus on the culture and now you move the focus on the team. What are the important building blocks inside a team? And here there are many frameworks about teams and how to grow teams. I had just put here some building blocks that I believe are essential. If I would look at a, in a team, what I would like to see in a team, an increasing, I, I would like to see that the team is increasingly growing in their engagement that will allow them to be connected to a purpose that eventually will allow them to show up in the company with the idea of wholeness I took this idea from uh, Frederick Laloux and Reinventing Organization, mm -hmm. an organization in which your whole being can be present at work mm -hmm. and then have self-organization as an outcome of that and then catalyze sustainable high performance, which will mean how we can continue to produce value by at the same time taking care of our well-being or our state of, of, of mind while we get things done. Mm -hmm. So we're increasing engagement. We need to be able to measure engagement for that. Our purpose changes as we change, which makes complete sense. Because any, just like any organ, team can't. It's any organization. An organization can be a company or it can be a team. They they, they need to change with what's going on. Um, great, a great, great example would be a uh, a software team needs to turn into a DevOps team. Um, you know, things need to change. Things needs to grow. Um, wholeness, the ability to Live to motivate and support individuals to bring their whole being to work, which is very much in line with modern HR theory about bringing your whole self to work. Um, mm -hmm. Self-organization, leader acts as an enabler of self-organization with a team. That's very much at the heart of your all your agile coaching and anyone's agile coaching should be. Well, guys, what do you think? How are you going to organize this to, which which creates that level of buy-in and skin in the game that every team member is not is actually leaning in to solve the problem as opposed to leaning back and being told what to do. Um, yeah. Then we catalyze sustainable high performance. Leader is a role model for high performance and supports the team to achieve a state of sustainable high performance. Where really, it's interesting that what we talk about there because it's we're, we're more interested in personal best than high performance. How are you challenging yourself and living on your edge to grow um, uh, as a team? Because we can't be. This is where we talk about often that the the traditional HR individual. Um, 
measurement doesn't always hold true in the new environment because an individual is not a, a, an output of value, it's a team. So how is the team holding itself to um, uh, some sort of standard and improving that as they go? Certainly. There was an idea coming to my mind as we come here is the, um, the, the notion of, maybe from my personal experience is better. When I have worked with teams and individuals in a team, I have noticed that most of the conflicts or what is preventing people to fully show up is three main reasons. And there are maybe they can all go into wholeness, you know, this idea of can I bring my whole being at work? Mm-hmm. And these three reasons are more coming from what happens in an individual. I know there are external factors influencing us. But when any of these three things are not really well kind of anchor in a human being, you will see that in a team there is this function. The first one is I am worthy. When a, when yep. a team has a problem of worthiness and the sense of worth comes from outside in, yes. this, will create, this will create troubles because it will basically mean that my code and the quality of what I'm coding as a developer is connected to who I am. So mm-hmm. if someone is criticizing my code, I will become defensive. Mm-hmm. I have seen amazing developers who don't have this problem and they grow and improve and they create amazing outcome. And developers yeah. are really smarter and more capable of coding, but they do have this problem and they create a lot of turbulence society. A lot mm-hmm. of these funds come from my sense of worthiness is outside. That's it. Intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation. So my sense of worth comes from inside me. And I'm, so therefore, when someone I'm challenged, I can, I can use that to support myself. Yeah. The second one is, do I matter? Yep. Am I important in this team? Many of the dysfunction come from one of the people not feeling that what they say, their opinion, their contribution, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But that's where self-organization comes into it as well, right? So why am I here? Exactly. And if I can't and identify that, why I'm here, I can move over there. Yeah, exactly. And that, and also as a coach, sometimes my challenge has been how to create a dynamic on which the team can notice that they're not really giving the feeling or sincerely being interested on in the contribution of each of them so they can start doing that because that will heal the core of the dysfunction and the last one is am i seeing you know yeah do people see me do people yeah. revive my contribution i am really worth worth for this thing so what were those three in short so i'm seen i'm valuable do I, so, sorry uh, i'm a worthy do i worthy. matter worthy matter or am i am i seeing okay cool got it good to know um, next, we move to interpersonal agility. So we've gone from the external organizational, which is to the interpersonal, which is external. Uh, first one is structural ability. Is the ability of the leader to establish or facilitate an organizational structure that enables agility. So we've gone from really the team out to inter-team, correct? Yes, this is more seen the, yeah, the, the backbone of the organization. Mm-hmm. And then we have hierarchy. Uh, let's go through it. This has well, flattened the organization. Yep. Uh, 
which is, is the leader interested in making an organization that is flattened, not with the purpose of not having hierarchy, it's with the purpose of creating a different motivation to be in the company. If the motivation yeah. in the company is to grow and go up in levels of the company, hmm, it's a classical organization. Then waste reduction, uh, is the leader really interested on reducing waste on the way the company is functioning? Enable the agile transformation, which means is the leader really on, from this dimension, change is really willing to change the structure of the company to enable agility. For example, mm -hmm. recreating departments, recreating or a hierarchy or, or things that are on that uh, way of thinking or on that line. Mm -hmm. Then removing impediments and positive hierarchy. So these are the building blocks, as I said, there are others that can be included here. You always need to make choices. But essentially, mm -hmm. is the backbone of the company, the structure, aligned or not, or enabling or not, agility to emerge? Yeah, and this makes sense. Flatten the organization, remove the command and control structures, command and control structures, and allow teams to have more authority and autonomy around the work that they do. Waste reduction is basic Kanban. You know, anything that's not adding value to the customer, as we've talked about before, doesn't need to be there. Um, which is the same as removing impediments is creating autonomy and positive hierarchy is let people work together, find and work with the people who they need to work. With. If I need someone from HR to complete this, I need someone from, you know, operations to complete this. Let's just get together and start working, create those informal structures, which actually create value. Yes. Yes. Great. And then structural agility, the next one is systemic agility. It is related to the ability of a leader to apply a systems thinking uh, approach to uncover interpediments, optimize the system, facilitate solutions by leveraging on collective intelligence. And this kind of screams to me, removing the highest paid person's opinion, not being based upon hierarchy and, and hippos, but actually using data to solve problems. Certainly. And I like what you say. In, in a way, if a structural agility will be kind of the backbone, yeah. the pieces, then systemic agility is more how you make them function in the system. Yes, agreed. They Absolutely. Interact, you know. And then we have system optimizers so that the leader or the leadership of the company is really looking for optimizing the system. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I was following the other day one. Um, one uh, interview to the CEO of uh, Amazon. It's not that I'm very keen of what Amazon is doing, but mm -hmm. these guys are great system optimizers. Oh yeah. Really nail it down to the stream that they know exactly what is working well or not. And they have really optimized the business in a way that they have become what they are. This is more another problem maybe in that company, but from the optimization point of view, they are, it's a masterpiece of company for that. Mm -hmm. The holistic problem solving also, if you're solving a problem, do you really want to just solve the surface, the surface of it or do you really want to go deep into the root cause and see where is this issue coming from? The notion of collective intelligence in the system, are we enabling everyone to participate in a creative way so the collective intelligence of the group is uh, kind of propelled or used? And being tapped into. Yeah. Reduce politics, very important in the system of a company because this mm -hmm. creates so much pain. And the last one, sustainable productivity. So is the company caring also about the, the, the well-being and the 
yeah, to have sustainable productivity from the point of view of the outcome, but also from the point of view of the people who are creating the outcome. Mm. And I think this is a lot place where a lot of people just fall down that they, they, um, it, it it's either too hard or, um, you know, they trust everyone just to be doing what they want, but there is value in actually sitting down and actually looking at the system step by step as we do with value press, uh, value stream mapping, et cetera, to, to make changes which have ongoing savings or effects. If you remove two parts of a five part process, that is a banked saving, which is going to continue to pay every day for the rest of your organization. So thinking in a systems way is really, really important to reduce waste. Yes. Yes. And you know, now that I think we have covered all of them, what I can say is that uh, if you we go back to the graph where we have all of them, yeah. one thing I can say is that I have noticed that some leaders, they are naturally, uh, can you go back to the circle where we have all the confidence? Yeah. That some people are, are, some leaders are more uh, kind of naturally motivated to to develop agility from the point of the system and the organizational structure, the organizational mm -hmm. agility. Some people see it more as from a personal experience or a cultural experience. Mm -hmm. or a yeah. Experience. And some people have some bias, you know, they, they, are, they don't see one of these dimensions and they lose part of the whole story. And that was also one of the ideas to have a lens that if you, for example, forget something, this framework can remind you that you're missing one element of the whole picture of yeah that makes so much sense to me because i have has seen those arguments go on that um an agile transformation someone saying oh it's a digital transformation we need to be getting all the latest devops tools and all that kind of stuff and then other person goes no no, no that's not it that's not going to work if it's not a cultural transformation but if you only do that alone you've got a lot of people who feel great but nothing gets done um, yes. So it's great. It, this is a fantastic tool because what you can do is use this as a leader and go, okay, maybe this bit's not working over here. The systemic agility structure is not working. What other piece could I be neglecting, which affects that? Um, so maybe we don't have great systemic agility because um, I'm not telling the right story uh, about how we need to change, you know, the, the, the way our market is working, et cetera. So it, it does provide a great, kind of 360 lenses talking about to figure out how these things affect each other and how I can use one to affect the other. Yes. And I could have only created this because I was using the integral framework. Yes. That's one of the powers of the integral framework that whenever you create something from the integral point of view, it forces you in a way to uh, think and consider elements that you will normally neglect because of your personality type. If yeah. you're more a, a a people person, let's say, you will miss the uh, the yes. more the concrete hard stuff. If you're more a result-driven leader, mm, the, the people part will maybe a blind spot. Yeah, that actually makes so much sense, and I I could think that I can think that about myself. It's quite easy to discount, or oh, that doesn't work. But unfortunately, sorry, that's not important. Um, if I'm very numbers based and outcomes based it's going to be like you know the people stuff doesn't matter let's just get it done but then you need yeah. you can use this to really minimize your minimize your weaknesses and maximize your strengths in that way um so it is gr a great personal growth tool but also a great mac so it's a great micro level tool for a leader to check their blind spots and to make sure they're covering things um but it's also a great macro level tool because it helps understand the um uh 
the, the, the leadership model which you should be imprinting across your organization. Um, so yeah. what's your advice for someone who looks at this and especially looks at all of these and goes, well, oh, that's just too much. Like, what do I do next? <laughs> well, I would say that um, that if someone really wants to engage in this profession of being an agile coach, uh, uh, did, sorry, did you mean about the an agile practitioner yeah, or an agile? Yeah. So you've you've said to me, uh, Peter's come to me as a as an executive. He's introduced me to the solid the the the, the agile leadership model. Are like, great, I get it. It's just so much to get done. Like that, we have. I could I could pick each one of these could be a month long journey for me, to to yeah. to flatten the organization or to co-create strategy, et cetera. So, I mean, I think my advice would be just pick a couple. You've got a huge backlog, just like, you know, this could be your personal uh, board, Kanban board or whatever it is. Just pick a couple, focus on them and move them through. Would that be a great strategy? I will, here we make a promotion to the comparative uh, agile leadership assessment because that's what this uh, comparative agile leadership framework mm -hmm tool people can go and use that and do the, the assessment and Benchmark then they will yourself. because this is not just a theory it's a practical tool that people i think can access for free on the website of the comparative agility yep. they go there answer the question and the tool will show you based on your answers where do you need to focus on and then indeed build a backlog and, and go through it yeah sounds great excellent yeah i, I did use the, the website to do the assessment and the results are quite the, the format on which is presented is quite easy to, to read so if an agile coach wants to use this you can go to comparativeagility.com i think use the assessment print the results and have a conversation with the leader about it and take some priorities i think there is also a professional version where you can have a lot of data points of the comparative mm -hmm. agile leadership uh, assessment and then you can include more people to give feedback. So it's that 360, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you had their direct, your direct report say, Hey guys, send out this. And then based upon that, you can figure out where you may be uh, wanting to improve basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's one, one part like a practical side. Now more from the personal transformation aspect that I really love and I'm passionate about personal transformation is that if any agile practitioner wants to take his or her profession seriously, they need an invitation, there's not a have to, an invitation to engage and noticing which of these dimensions they haven't really understood or needed practice. And therefore, there is a need to engage in a journey for personal transformation. Yep. To do Understood. all of this yourself. To do all of this yourself as, a, as right. an agile coach, and practitioner. Great. Well, this has been a journey for me. Thank you for your time, Peter. Um, I think this is a really great tool. As I said, for me, this when you when you when you pair uh, team agility up with psychological safety and uh, agile leadership, where you know leaders can have a great uh, framework to to be a part of the agile journey. It's not just about creating self-organized teams and and about the squad. It is about you know, leadership as much as anything else. I think this is a fantastic part of um, 
the comparative agility platform, which can really help create that journey for any organization. I myself, I think I've got a team meeting today. I think I'll be asking all my team to, to, to do the agile leadership test for me, see where I can find my blind spots and where I need to work on next. Um, so thank you for your time and uh, have a great day. You're welcome. Have a great day. I wish you well during these turbulent times on this planet. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.